Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. We all can't help but wonder what adventure lies just over the next ridge. A Nissan Rogue, Nissan Pathfinder, or Nissan Armada will take you there. If you're taking on your adventure in a new 2024 Nissan Rogue, class-exclusive Google built-in is your always-updating assistant to call on for almost anything. Google Assistant, Google Maps, and Google Play Store are built right into the 12.3-inch HD touchscreen infotainment system of the 2024 Nissan Rogue. Nissan's SUV has the capabilities to take you where you want to go. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. No surprise here, but you know I gotta have my devices when I travel. I would be lost without my smartphone. I use it for directions, to find things to do, and most importantly, where to eat. I rely on it as a digital music player to enhance my experience as I explore a new place. Oh, and sometimes I even use it to make calls and stuff. That's the kind of traveler I am. And if you travel, you know what kind you are, too. That's why you go with the Delta SkyMiles Platinum American Express card. If you travel, you know. Get in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. And welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm Jonathan Strickland. And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And we are now going to conclude our two-part epic series on Sid Meier, the, the man who changed computer games forever by, by being one of the people who made them first. He um, made them good. Yeah, he made them gooder. Uh, of course, Sid Meier is just one name among many instrumental programmers who really helped define what video games were all about in those early computer game days. To right. The, to the point where you would, you know, one of the things that Meyer likes to talk about, if you ever listen to interviews or read an interview with him, he, he talks about these n- nostalgic early days of computer programming back before there were genres of computer games. Right, right. And and all of the constraints of trying to make something that worked and worked well when the equipment that you had and the amount of memory that you had to play with were so limited. Limited. Yeah. and And the fact that you know, back then you could just make whatever you thought would make a good game. And his philosophy was, if it's fun, put it in. And if it's not fun, take it out. Mm-hmm. And that would find that, the fun. That, yeah, that was, I mean, you see this phrase over and over and over again. Find the fun, give the players interesting choices. Those were two of the main things he would stress over and over again. 
and uh, and it worked really well for him. So when we left off at the end of the last episode, he had just left the company that he had co-founded, Microprose. Right. Um. And and I we should mention a Civ two came out that year as well yeah, over at Microprose, mm-hmm. uh, which had been designed by Brian Reynolds, who um, who was a, a young programmer who had started working with Sid Meier. Yep. So Civilization II, uh, he, you know, Sid Meier had input on Civilization II. Mainly it was he was a play tester. He would play right. it and give feedback to Brian Reynolds. In fact, uh, that's really how Sid Meier likes to design games as well. He likes to build something. He then will hand it off to someone he really trusts to play it, mm-hmm. get feedback from that person, say, what was fun? What wasn't fun? Did and, you find anything confusing? And then tweak it based on their feedback. Yeah. And then sometimes... And then continue that cycle. Sometimes this would take a course over like a day. He would hand over a game. A person would play it. They'd hand it back at the end of the day and say, all right, well, here are the things I have to tell you. And then Sid Meier would go home, reprogram <laughs> the game and come back the next morning and say, here's the new version and it would start all over again. It's kind of crazy, but that's sort of how Sid Meier likes to work. And he doesn't tend to do things like draw up a detailed plan of what a game is supposed to be and then try and follow the blueprint. Instead, he builds, tests, rebuilds. Right. And part of why he left Microprose was that uh, it was becoming that kind of corporate environment where I think, you know, they were asking him to do that kind of stuff. And he was like, eh, that's no, not how I work. I, not really. I, I, I do this because I love to make games. I don't do it so that mm-hmm. I, I, I'm not trying to create franchises so much as I'm trying to create compelling games. And the two are not necessarily uh, separate but I don't want to be pigeoned uh, like I don't want to be I don't want to be framed in this this context where I only create civilization games from now on because civilization one sold so well. Right. So, OK. So 1996, um, Meyer, Brian Reynolds and Jeff Briggs all leave Microprose and um, uh, start up a new company called Firaxis Games. Right. So Firaxis Games, that's um that that company name comes from a fusion of two words, right? Uh, fiery and Axis. Yeah. Even though a- it's not. A-X-I-S. Yeah, but it's pronounced. Pronounced. Fur Axis. Fur, yeah. Like fur tree. Okay. You All know, right. I'm not, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna argue. They can do what they want. Yeah, yeah. Um, pronounce they, it however they like. This is still in the Baltimore area. Um, they, they occasionally like to say, uh, you know, we, we like to think of it as Silicon Valley East. Nice. And, or, or we like to think of Silicon Valley as, um, Hunt <laughs> Valley West. Nice. Yeah, I, I like to think of it as John Waters' uh, computer development. Anyway, so so Sid Meier, his, his title at Veraxis is Director of Creative Development. You might ask, what does Director of Creative Development mean? What is, what's his actual job responsibility? And it's to do what Sid Meier does. Mm-hmm. To do what he wants. Yeah, he, he essentially has a job where he gets to concentrate on the projects that interest and excite him. Because as it turns out, if Sid Meier is excited and interested in something, a lot of gamers tend to be interested huh. and excited about it, too. So right, right. It's kind of this philosophy of if you let the game designer who is really looking at creating a fun experience do his or her thing, you end up with a very marketable product. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is not always the case, obviously. If, you're, if your game designer is not really good at judging what is fun, then clearly it's that's a very not... poor decision. Yeah. But in this particular case, uh, and, and the company was really started out very small. It was only 10 to 15 people. Um, yep. And uh, Meyer said... Of the company at the time, um, the convicts are running the asylum. It's great fun. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And he was also that year, 1996, awarded a U.S. patent for a, quote, system for real-time music composition and synthesis, end quote. 
And that oh, was, right. That was that, that was that, uh, uh, CPU Bach yeah. that I mentioned in the previous, previous episode. episode. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. So CPU Bach was a program that would allow you to compose your own music, which I think is an amazing idea. It did not do well. It wasn't I, a commercial it, success at all. No. Um, but, uh, but it also, um, Sid Meier is deeply interested in, in music. Uh, he, um, has, has gone on record saying that he, Guitar Hero is one of the games that he just really wishes he had thought of first. Yeah. And, he, and that he's fascinated by its ability to bring people who aren't familiar with music into that world. Right. I've seen, I've seen him say that he has two regrets, that he's not the one who invented Tetris and he's not the one who invented Guitar Hero. Uh, he also supposedly, um, he's, um, uh, very involved in one of his local churches and, uh, writes, composes music for, for yeah, the choir. And plays the organ and as well. And plays the organ there, yeah. yeah. Um, speaking of his personal life, Fraxis hired a woman named Susan Brookins, um, who had previously worked for the U.S. Navy in the Department of Defense, um, to be the head of human resources. Right. And this would be important in a couple of years when she and Sid Meier got married. Yep. And then, and these days she refers to her title as Master of Miscellaneous. Ha, right. I, I'm sure. I mean, it was an important hire at the time anyway, because she was a terrific, uh, she was, she was very good at personnel and, and very good with people and, and still is, is pretty instrumental in the company. Yeah. I think, it, I, again, when you talk about like interviews with Sid Meier, a lot of them mention that she, that Susan is hanging out. Right. Too, and that yeah. she, she serves as sort of a, a an additional memory for Meyer, who's, who's <laughs> done a lot, you know, but Meyer tends to, he's a very affable kind of guy and Susan will chime in and say, what he's really saying well, is... Well, actually. <laughs> yeah. By yeah. the way, shout out to all you Ac- Accutron tweeters. Y'all are great. Yeah. I can't wait to see the well actuallys about this episode. <laughs> uh, 1997, Microprose, you know, th- this is after Meyer has already left, but Microprose uh, publishes Magic the Gathering, which reportedly was the last game title at Microprose that Sid Meier had personally worked on in some capacity before he had left. So at that point, moving forward, the Microprose games that would come out did not have Sid Meier's uh, involvement. Uh, moving ahead a couple of years, in 1999, Sid Meier was inducted into the Academy of Interactive Arts and Sciences Hall of Fame for lifetime achievement. He was only the second person to ever receive that award. The first one was uh, Shigeru Miyamoto. So, yes, uh, um, big, uh, which, big name. Who, who you might know from doing like Mario. And Donkey Kong mm-hmm. and Legend of Zelda mm-hmm. and, and uh, numerous other games. So uh, Sid Meier, not, not, a, not bad, you know, not bad to be number two when yeah, that's number one. That's quite all right. Uh, he also launched, <laughs> not literally, I guess, <laughs> Sid Meier's Alpha Centauri. Uh, game, which was a, it was a kind of spinoff of, of civilization. civilization. Yeah. It's, it's sort of like, well, you know how at the end of civilization, if you've, if you followed the future tech Track, uh, pathway uh-huh. to trying to win, you launch that, that, that space colony out to Alpha Centauri. Well, now we're starting you in Alpha Centauri. Yeah. Uh, interesting little side note. Did you know? Oh, well, never mind. I'm going to leave that for the trivia at the end of this podcast. Okay. There's, there's, a, a fun little side note about Alpha Centauri, but we'll talk about that at the trivia section. So in 2000, Sid Meier proposes a dinosaur themed game. I've, I've seen this, I've seen this referred to as, um, uh, Sid Meier's version of the white whale. Yes. It's his, it's his albatross. It's his white <laughs> whale. It's his metaphor for thing that he wanted to do that he never quite got right. Um, and he, it's not that he launched a game that did poorly. No, he, he never launched a game. He, he started to really think that a dinosaur-based game has the potential for being really fun, mm-hmm. but he tried different approaches, and none of them seemed to be quite fun enough to him 
to merit an actual game. Mm-hmm. He tried a real-time version. He tried a turn-based version, more like Civilization, and even tried a card-based game, something like Magic the Gathering. Mm-hmm. But he, he uh, never felt it quite was quite good enough. Yeah, he was he was kind of obsessed with it. He made um Jake Solomon, who was the third person from that Kotaku interview, whose name I had completely forgotten at the top of the previous podcast, um, play a version of this during his interview, like like Jake was trying to interview. Yeah, and Meyer was like, "Can you play this game? What did you think about the game?" And Solomon and got very much the idea that this wasn't part of the interview. This was just Meyer going like, I really want feedback. Yeah, he said that maybe Meyer was looking for personality traits based upon my responses, but I think he really just wanted to know what I thought about the game. (laughs) Um, uh, Solomon also reported, related to to this and and also some other stuff that, that Meyer once said, playing games is a series of interesting decisions, but making games is a series of heartbreaking disappointments. Right. So Meyer said that he he can't get this dinosaur game to work, goes home, and he stays home for about two weeks. And employees wonder what the heck is up with Meyer. Meyer comes back, and then he says, okay, I've got a prototype game to show you guys. It's totally different. And they're like, what? I'm like, you, you were gone for two weeks? We thought you were all depressed. Like, yeah, He's I, like, I made yeah, a game. I made Sim Golf. Yep. So he showed off Sim Golf, which was actually, you know, it's a game that allowed you to create your own golf, golf courses. Course. Mm-hmm. And, uh, along uh, the lines of Railroad Tycoon again. Right. So he, he shows this off, and uh, and they say, yeah, we could sell this. This is a marketable game. And uh, it kind of, again, shows that he creates games by just diving in and building them rather than planning them out in advance. It's not that he had planned on making Sim Golf. He he was still thinking about that dinosaur game and then came up with this totally different approach. And uh, so, again, that was just a prototype. Obviously, he would go in and refine it before it would be marketed as Sim Golf. But that's how it was born. Now, in 2001, a company from France called Infogrames... And I almost, I always want to drop the R out of it. Constantly, want, yeah, like yeah. Info games, but mm-hmm. it's Info Games. Uh-huh. Uh, comes in and, uh, purchases from Hasbro a, a subsidiary, the Hasbro Interactive subsidiary. Why is this important? Uh, because that, because ha- Hasbro had purchased Microprose a couple of years previous. Right, so. And, um. That was, uh, that was Sid Meier's old company was Microprose, and it had been acquired by Hasbro. Hasbro could not really make their interactive division work very well. This was, I remember actually following this news while it was happening and seeing that it was really frustrating because it had Hasbro interactive involved more than just microprose. That was, they had swept oh, sure. up a few companies and there was a lot of frustration that Hasbro had bought up a lot of talent or at least brands that were very recognizable and didn't really manage to do much with them. So anyway, since Infogrames bought uh, Hasbro Interactive, it also meant that they got the rights to the Civilization franchise. And uh, the name Microprose and the rights uh, to the Atari brand were also purchased in this acquisition. So at this point, Microprose as a distinct entity ceased to be. It was just a name. Just like Atari ceased to be. It became just a name. So uh, dark days for some people, as as far as if you were to ask them about what what do you feel about how do you feel about this, like, I feel really sad because these these were instrumental companies in the early days of uh, of video games and computer games, um, and now they were just reduced to a brand name. There mm-hmm. was really no no identity behind that. Uh, in two thousand two, Meyer got inducted to another Hall of Fame, this time by the Computer Museum. Right. So <laughs> so he's he's. In several halls that are famous. <laughs> that was also when Sim Golf was actually released. Yep. Um, in uh, 2000, 
three infogrames. Oh, oh I, it's infogrames. In, I, I, that's my fault. I made in, a transposition <laughs> error. It's infogrames. I'm looking at the same notes that you're looking at, and you you said it the way I wrote it. I, <laughs> so I um, wrote it wrong. That's all. Excellent. Uh, yes, Civ 3, Civ 3. Yes. Is the point of this sentence. Right. So <laughs> Civilization 3 comes out from Infogrames, but the development of Civ 3 came from Firaxis. Mm-hmm. So the, you know, Sid Meier, of course, founded Firaxis. So the company that Sid Meier helped found ended up developing Civilization 3, and it was just published by Infogrames. Uh, Jeff Briggs was the lead game designer for Civ 3, and, um, that's when another video game designer named Soren Johnson uh, began to work on this title on Civilization 3, or, or he had worked on it. Now, he had joined uh, Firaxis back in 2000. Before he had joined Firaxis, he had worked for Electronic Arts, and uh, and he'll become important later, too. Uh, 2004 is when Take-Two Interactive, which is, you, 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 that might be a, a name that a lot of our video game players are familiar with. It's a yeah. publishing company. Yeah, they, they own a, a, a Rockstar and 2K, um, which, yep. which are responsible for like Grand Theft Auto. Yeah, and, Grand Theft Auto and, 5 comes out September 17th. Can't wait. <laughs> NBA, uh, stuff like that. NBA 2K, yep. And they, they buy the rights to the Civilization franchise from Infogrames for $22.3 million. In 2005, Take-Two Interactive then acquires Firaxis for $26.7 million. So once again, you have all the the components that are uh, associated with the Civilization computer game series together under one roof. Mm -hmm. So it it took some years. They they split off and did some crazy splintering stuff. But now they're all part of the same company. Mm -hmm. And I believe 2004, or I'm sorry, 2005 was also the year that Civ 4 was released. Yep. And uh, uh, we're up to five now, as I recall. So 2007, uh, C- Civilization Five is the current title is what I'm trying to get at. But in 2007, <laughs> Soren Johnson, the developer I was talking about earlier, he leaves Firaxis to go back to EA. And he goes to work with an old peer of Sid Meier's, mm-hmm. Will Wright. Uh, who had made SimCity. Yeah, so Will Wright has his own. We could do our another podcast just on Will Wright. Oh, I'd love to. That'd be great. Yeah, yeah. Sometime we'll don't worry people who aren't big into video games. We'll we'll let some time we'll let pass. It breathe. Yeah, mm-hmm. we'll we'll get some breathing room. But uh he goes to work with Will Wright on a game called Spore, which had crazy buzz. So much hype. So much hype. Yeah. The idea of this artificially intelligent, super advanced uh uh component to this game and and that it was going to give you unprecedented control over the evolution of creatures and you could share them with each other and crossbreed and the execution was what some would argue uh somewhat lacking compared to the buzz that surrounded it in its early days it was one of those games that got delayed several times and uh just didn't seem to live up to its potential but that was uh, it's interesting that another person who had worked with Sid Meier went on to go and work with one of uh, Meier's early peers. Mm-hmm. Uh, eventually, by the way, Soren Johnson would actually leave EA again. That would be the second time he had left <laughs> Electronic Arts. Uh, that would be in 2011. And then he goes to join Zynga. Oh, of um, uh, all of the little apps. Yeah, the platform games. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the apps and the mobile games. Oh, mm-hmm. and, uh, and that company, it struggled quite a bit recently. Yes. <laughs> but in 2011... That same year when Soren Johnson had left, uh, that's when Civ World comes out. Now, this was a game that Sid Meier was lead developer on. Civ World was a Flash-based game that used Facebook as the platform. So 
You know those games when you go onto Facebook, you get all those invites from your friends who don't like you, <laughs> who want you to play, was it Candy Crush something? I, I've literally never played a Facebook game, so I would not know. I, I did early, early, early on in the days of Facebook and then decided, you know, this is, they, these, these games don't really appeal to me. Now, it may have been that I was playing poorly de- developed games, right? But anyways, this was, uh, Sid Meier's a- approach to getting into this. So they launch it in 2011, uh, but they shut it down in early 2013. It just, uh, I guess, wasn't working properly. It just didn't align with the rest of the company's vision. But anyway, uh, that was one of the, the latest titles that Sid Meier had a direct hand in developing. Uh, 2012, Firaxis was named the number one developer of the year by Game Informer magazine. Uh, XCOM had come out that year, a sci-fi strategy game that, that hit a lot of, uh, critical and popular acclaim. Right. And actually, if you, if you look back at the history of Sid Meier, you'll see that there's an earlier game called XCOM. This was a sort of a reimagination of that earlier game. And I know a lot of people who are huge XCOM fans. Mm -hmm. Uh, I have not played it. Uh, but all the people I know who have played it, they just rant and rave and say this is fantastic. Jake Solomon, who I was talking about earlier, was the one who directed that one. Gotcha. So 2013, that's when the, the, uh, well, first of all, that's this year when we're recording that. So, Hi. Yeah. Hello. Well, welcome to the present. I'm reading the notes and I just the don't even think. The incredible present. Yeah. So 2013, when we all got our jetpacks and <laughs> all food came in pill form, uh, that's actually the, the latest title that Sid Meier has developed came out this year. Uh, it's called Ace Patrol. And it was, in fact, Sid Meier's first game specifically for mobile platforms, meaning, you know, smartphones, tablets, that kind mm-hmm. of thing. And uh, the way the game works, it's it's a World War One airplane strategy game. So mm-hmm. you're, you're controlling pilots who are flying various types of aircraft and you go into dogfights, but you're not controlling the airplanes. It's turn-based. Sure. Uh, so, you know, you try and have your pilot take down other pilots. And as you progress through the game, you can upgrade your pilot skills and the airplane's capabilities. Um, and uh, it, so it plays a lot like other strategy games. Uh, actually, just two days before we were recording this, on August 27th, 2013, Ace Patrol was released for PC on Steam. So you can play it either on a mobile platform or you can play it on on Steam. It, what's interesting here is it also gives us a little bit of a insight into Meyer's opinions about some of the ways that games are being marketed these days, um, like freemium games. Now, these are the games that are free for you to download, but if you want specific items or you want to get access to certain levels, you have to pay. Right. To get access and it's to a them. frequent model for um, for mobile games. Right. Uh, EA is really big on this, for instance. And, you know, it's Zynga does a lot of that. Zynga does, too. Yeah. Yeah, There are a lot of different companies that are trying this. And then you're seeing this not just on things like mobile platforms, but also in consoles where Mm -hmm. you can get consoles where you, you, you end up having the stuff that you can pay extra for and get access to. Uh, or, or on PC games, a lot of the MMOs in, yeah. involve elements like that. Now, some of these games also allow you to eventually earn those items if you play long enough. Uh, but they're trying to create an incentive for players to spend the money to get earlier access to this stuff. So Meyer was asked about his opinion on this, and he said that building a game like that is about designing unhappiness. 
which that's pretty oh, tough. Snap. Yeah, yeah, he's essentially saying that you your goal when you are designing a freemium game where you're trying to give people the incentive to buy more stuff is that you have to design a game so not fun that people will pay to make it fun. He says that kind wow. of goes against the grain of game design. Oh, that's uh, that's a kind of harsh and B, I think, entirely true. Yeah. I mean, it, when you think of it that way, you're like, that's totally not the way the game developers are thinking about when they're designing the game. But mm-hmm. it, from a consumer standpoint, yeah, I can see that saying we want this game to be engaging enough so that someone wants to download it, but not so engaging that they feel that they, that are they feel getting, fulfilled by yeah, what they've just downloaded. They have to pay to really get that fulfilling uh, experience and that Meyer's like I don't want to be part of that. So uh, with the iOS version of Ace Patrol, you could pay five dollars and get the whole game. You could try to play it for free and you get the first few levels, but then you would be prompted to say, "All right, if you enjoyed this, go ahead and purchase it. If not, then thank you for playing." Um, and if you only wanted to play one of the nationalities in the game, you could pay a dollar ninety nine per nationality. So you could. You know, had a little bit of that freemium thing, but only in the sense of kind of this is the trial version. Mm-hmm. Now you can buy the full version. Not so much of, oh, you want your plane to go faster? Spend a dollar. Now, another interesting thing that I read is that Meyer says he's no longer involved in civilization right. titles. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but but that that he feels like they're in good hands. Yep. And uh, the last one, Civilization Five, was designed by John Schaefer. And, uh, you know, again, like they'll. They'll come to Sid Meier for input. They'll ask him for his opinions, but he says he's no longer actively part of those teams, which he's fine with. He he wants to be able to concentrate on whatever interests him. And again, he doesn't necessarily want to get caught in this Don't trap. Be tied of, to it too much. Yeah, right? like like we want you to be a franchise generator. <laughs> uh, he doesn't want that. So um, I've got some trivia. So here's some Sid Meier trivia. And the first bit is that Sid Meier appears as a character in the Alien Crossfire expansion pack <laughs> for Sid Meier's Alpha Centauri game. So uh, there's a, a secret hidden faction in the this expansion pack for Alpha Centauri. And the secret faction is called the Firaxians. Huh. So uh, if you unlocked the Firaxians, you would unlock them either uh, with Sid Meier as the leader or Brian Reynolds as the leader, and that would appear as the leader for the rest of the game. Uh, and then according to the 2008 Guinness Book of World Records, Sid Meier holds the record for most video game awards ever received. Um, he lives in Baltimore, Maryland, like we've said. Uh, we talked about his wife and the fact that her her she considers her new title Master of Miscellaneous. That, by the way, is not a formal title. It's not her official title, no. no. It's just kind of what she's like, that's what I consider myself. Uh, And according to his employees, like we said, he's a very personable, friendly guy. He's got like an open door policy. Anyone can come in and talk to him. Apparently, he's really dedicated to his work. If he's really interested in a project, you will find him even working on weekends and working long hours if he's if he's really excited. It's kind of like the way that players play Civilization, where they... They have to take that next turn. They can't. They can't quit yet. They're just going to do one more turn. Just one more turn. All right. So uh, we're going to have another part of this podcast. We're going to really talk about civilization and its development process and its impact on the industry. But before we get into that, let's take a quick break to thank our sponsor. Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. 
on the network that covers more roads than any other carrier. Take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. No surprise here, but you know I gotta have my devices when I travel. I can't fly without my portable chargers and noise-canceling headphones keeping me immersed, and I'd be lost without my smartphone. In a new place, it's my connection to the familiar. I rely on it to get directions around town, I use my smartphone to look up things to do, or, most importantly, where to eat. In countries where I don't speak the language, my phone becomes a universal translator. And heck, it can double as a digital camera, giving me the opportunity to snap unforgettable pictures of the sights that inspire me and fill me with joy. That's the kind of traveler I am. And if you travel, you know what kind you are, too. That's why you go with the Delta SkyMiles Platinum American Express card. If you travel, you know. CNN Underscore's Guide to Sleep has tons of recommendations for products that can help you get the best night's sleep ever. All right, let's face it. Most of us have had trouble falling or staying asleep at some point. And there are a lot of products and hacks claiming to be the solution to our sleepless nights. That's why the CNN Underscored team spend hundreds of hours testing products to find the ones that can make a huge difference in the quality of your slumber. Visit Underscored.com now for our ultimate guide to getting better sleep. All right, so let's talk about civilization. This is, of course, the biggest title I think you could you could argue that Sid Meier has ever produced. Mm-hmm. Uh, while I would say that Pirates remains my favorite, uh, you can't deny the fact that civilization has had a huge impact. So, did you know that the original civilization was only three megabytes in size? I did know that, but only because I read the same research that you did. Also, yeah, that would that would help. Yeah, that <laughs> but that's kind of that's kind of eye opening now. Like you look know, now right? at a video game being like multiple gigs, and uh, one of the most successful, or at least high, highest uh, critical acclaim video games ever made. Only three only megabytes. Three megabytes. Yeah, it, it was created for the IBM PC, um, which at the time only had um, 640 kilobytes of memory. Right. Yeah. So, so you know, you had those limited constraints that we talked about earlier. Oh, by the way, who was it that handled almost all the programming on that first Civilization game? Do you know? I do not know. It's Sid Meier. Ha. Huh. He did all the programming wow. himself, pretty much. He said that, you know, essentially all the coding was due to him. He he was the one who was coding everything for Civilization. Right. He said um, that uh, he did some of the art design as well. And a few of his art designs may have made it into the final game, but he's not sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, he, he was working very closely with um, a specific person 
Bruce Campbell Shelley. Bruce Campbell Shelley. Thank you. Um, yeah. uh, and, and, and that was, that was, they were called within the company, the A team, yeah. supposedly. And, um, and it, like, like Jonathan was talking about earlier, Shelley would play test, Meyer would tweak the game and just rinse repeat. Yeah. They would just do this over and over again. Shelley would be like, this game's great, but, uh, here's the stuff that I thought needed a little work. And Meyer would go back and, and tweak it and bring it back the next morning and say, try it again. Mm-hmm. And they would just do this several times in order to kind Kind of refine the game. Now, here's some interesting background here. So, Bruce Campbell Shelley came to Microprose. This is back in the Microprose days. He came to Microprose from another company called Avalon Hill. Right. Yeah. Okay. Now, now Avalon Hill had um, what was a board game company. Yeah. They they would publish board games, and one of the board games they published was originally published by another company in England. Mm-hmm. and uh, uh, Designed by Francis Tresham. This was called Civilization. Yeah. So Civilization, the board game, Francis, Francis Tresham was the guy who designed it. Uh, and it was published in, in Britain when it came over to America. Uh, Avalon Hill purchased the license to publish it in the United States. So Avalon Hill's not the company that, that ultimately owned Civilization. They just had a license for it in the U.S. Right. So... That's one connection between the board game civilization and the computer game civilization. That would be Shelley, who he did not work on the board game conversion for civilization, but he did work on another game that Tresham had developed called 1829. That was a uh, railroad designing game. Board, board game. game. Yeah. And uh, they, when they brought it over to America, they, they changed the title. It was no longer 1829. It was 1830. Yeah. But anyway, again, it was um, a railroad. It was a, a railroad, kind of a railroad empire game. Right, much like Railroad Tycoon, which Shelley also worked on. Right. So they, these um, now, now they did say that uh, things like these board games served as inspiration. But when you look at the actual mechanics and the way the actual games play out, they really the similarities are mainly on a surface level. They don't go very deeply. Like in once you get into game mechanics, it separates out quite a bit. Right, right. Um, and you know, like the. The board game Civilization, for example, um, didn't really go into anywhere near modern or futuristic technology. It right. stopped in kind That's of the Middle much, Ages. Yeah, ancient to Middle Ages. Mm-hmm. That was pretty much the the domain of the original board game. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, Meyer has said that he was certainly aware of the board game, that he had a copy that he had looked through, but um, but that he hadn't actually played it until after he finished uh, Playing, the, uh, yeah, the video Building game. Civilization. Mm-hmm. Shelley says that he had played the board game, obviously, having worked for Avalon Hill. Sure. But uh, that, that Meyer, he also says, you know, Meyer hadn't played it until after he had finished the development of the actual Civilization video game. But this is where, you know, one, one of the things we can talk about, uh, along with the developmental issues of trying to get this game actually to, to publish uh, in the environment that was Microprose at that time, is the issues with this game. Now, they didn't want to encounter any legal problems with mm-hmm. this this computer game once they decided they were going to call it Civilization. So they licensed the name Civilization from Avalon Hill, which, again, was the U.S. publisher for the game, right? So, um, the, the by the way, the British company that published it originally was called uh, Heartland Trefoil. And I'm sure I'm saying Trefoil wrong because <laughs> the way the U.K. works, they'd say, oh, it's spelled Trefoil, but it's pronounced throat wobbler mangrove. So um, I apologize. That's a Monty Python reference. Uh, I apologize if I am, you know, if, you're, if all the UK fans out there are just wincing every time I try and, and say this. So getting back into the actual development of civilization, this was not 
a smooth process. We mentioned it in the previous podcast that they were experiencing some reluctance on the part of Microprose because Steely, who was the president of Microprose, he was really focused on those combat simulations. Right, right. And he reportedly just didn't get civilization. He just didn't see where the appeal was. He didn't think it was going to be successful. Also, because Meyer had moved away from being a direct employee of Microprose, he was no longer head of development. The new VP of development did not have any incentive to promote Sid Meier games because he did not receive any sort of bonus from those games. He would receive bonuses from any games developed internally by Microprose employees, so he would focus on those and push those out ahead of anything else. So uh, while Sid Meier would get a budget from Microprose to work on games, he would get an upfront budget, he didn't get a lot of other support, and he and Shelley have both said that that meant the development for Civilization stretched out longer than it was supposed to. Sure. And in fact, the game ended up slipping its its original ship date. And this is a real kicker. Apparently, that meant that their own personal bonuses were affected. Oh, Meyer ouch. and Shelley, their bonuses were and and their team. There was more than just the two of them working on this. They had a team of people. Right. I, I think it was about about ten people. Yeah, eight or so. to eight to ten, mm-hmm. depending upon the source you read. So you have about ten people working on this game. And their bonuses are affected by the fact that the game did not ship on time. However, Shelley points out in interviews, he says, look, the reason why our game didn't ship on time is because Microprose was dragging their feet. And that it was a they management kept put, thing. They kept putting us on other projects and yeah. therefore we couldn't There work. was no way for us to right. ship on time because they would pull us off of the work we needed to do to get the game finished. Mm-hmm. So in other words, management would make decisions that affected our work and then punish us when the work wasn't being done. And so it's, it's, you know, this is a terrible catch 22 type thing. Sure, sure. And it's kind of easy to see after, after this process why a lot of these people started ditching. Yeah, started to leave the company and go somewhere else and why ultimately Meyer Mm -hmm. and two of his uh, fellow designers would leave and found Firaxis. Right. So they eventually, despite all odds against them, Finnish Civilization, and it, of course, publishes in uh, 91, I believe. And it ends up not getting a whole lot of support from Microprose. The The marketing department doesn't spend a lot of money. Mm-hmm. So they have to rely upon gamers who purchase the game to go out and tell all their gaming buddies, hey, you guys have got to try this. This game is amazing. Which, fortunately, they did. Yeah, and uh, and this game was you know, a, a huge leap from those early games Sid Meier made. Back in the day when Sid Meier made a game, that was in a Ziploc bag with a, a, a Xeroxed piece of paper that had the game art on one side and instructions on the other. Mm-hmm. Civilization shipped with a manual that was probably around 200 pages in length. Right. Uh, I remember th- that. I remember that booklet. Yeah. One of the things that, uh, that Shelley did, Sid Meier says that the most important thing that Shelley did was play the game. He says that was the most important thing that Shelley did because he played the game and would tell Sid Meier which things were working and which weren't. But if he had to say what the second most important thing was, Shelley took it upon himself to do two things. He he helped write the manual and he wrote the Civilopedia. Right. Now, the Civilopedia, for anyone who has not played uh, Civilization, the Civilopedia is an in-game reference that gives you more information about 
everything in the game. Every single unit, every military unit, it tells you more about them, gives you a historical context. It tells you about all the different buildings you can build. Uh, there are wonders of the world that you can design in civilization, and they are based off the actual amazing things that humans have created, things like the pyramids and mm-hmm. you know the hanging gardens of Babylon, that kind of thing. Uh, so he wrote up entries for all of this stuff. I, I, I get the, I've gotten the feeling that Shelley is a tiny bit of a history nerd. Um, and, and Sid Meier too. Sid Meier too, yeah. But, I, although they both said that they didn't do a whole lot of research when they first started working on civilization. They just wanted it to be a fun game. And right. They, and so, so that most of the, you know, knowledge that's in there is kind of elementary level. Although I have seen reports of, uh, Civ 3 in particular being used in classroom settings. And I can imagine that. I mean, and when you look at the actual game mechanics, because we've talked a lot about things like, you know, developing your, your, your social abilities or developing the, uh, uh, wonders of the world or future technology you're trying to conquer. It gets so much more complex than that, right? You've got the different nationalities, each of which have their own, uh, uh abilities or, or, you know, pros and cons when you first start off. Like I remember when I would play Civ 2, and I would play as the Germans. For some reason, I would end up with two settlers instead of one, which gave me an amazing advantage because I could use one set of settlers to build a city. And the second set of settlers could irrigate around the city and make it a more viable location. Uh, other uh, nations might start with only one settler, but they get more technology bonuses at the very beginning of the game. Then you would have things like what sort of government your civilization used. Like, is it a, a despotic system? Is it capitalism? Is it communism, socialism? Mm-hmm. And that would affect gameplay from that point forward. So it was, I mean, the game mechanics when you would start off would be very simple. This is pure Sid Meier approach. Very simple. And you would add levels of complexity as the game would go on until you get to a point where if you were to jump into that game, maybe 200 turns in, and that's how the game started, you'd think, there's no way I can play this. This is way too complicated. <laughs> right, right. You you learned with the game. Yeah. And um, and that was something that Civ 2 really built on as well. They, they started adding a lot of the concepts they had wanted to incorporate into Civ 1, but, um, but just felt like they were overcomplicating things. Right. Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. No surprise here, but you know I gotta have my devices when I travel. I can't fly without my portable chargers and noise-canceling headphones keeping me immersed, and I'd be lost without my smartphone. 
In a new place, it's my connection to the familiar. I rely on it to get directions around town. I use my smartphone to look up things to do or, most importantly, where to eat. In countries where I don't speak the language, my phone becomes a universal translator. And heck, it can double as a digital camera, giving me the opportunity to snap unforgettable pictures of the sights that inspire me and fill me with joy. That's the kind of traveler I am. And if you travel, you know what kind you are, too. That's why you go with the Delta SkyMiles Platinum American Express card. If you travel, you know. As someone who lives for politics, when a major scandal unfolds... It was shocking. I have to know. What were they thinking? Backroom deals. Huge amounts of money. CIA secrets. Sets off a firestorm in Washington. Affairs. No way this guy's got a mistress. Corruption. I knew I was a dead man. Warning, it's even messier than you thought. United States of Scandal with Jake Tapper, Sunday at 9 on CNN. Now, in the earliest days of civilization, when they were developing it, mm-hmm. I, I meant to mention this earlier, but I, I, and I definitely think it's important. It's, it's interesting that it was not a turn-based game when they first started developing it. Oh, right. It was, it was originally, um, like SimCity, which Sid Meier has, has referenced as being one of the big influences of the game. Um, yeah, the three it, big ones are SimCity, Risk, and Railroad Tycoon. Right, right. Um, uh, but yes, he was saying that it was it was real time, right? Everything was right. passing, mm-hmm. and so and so things uh, things were happening, um, you know, as y- you would kind of build something and let your settlers do their thing, and and he found that this was very dull and and reduced the player to a viewer. Yeah, you became it was a more passive experience. You weren't taking an active role, mm-hmm. and that's when he made the decision. And this this was he was well into the development of the game, and he said that, you know, if you figure out 6 months into the development of a game that's not working, you have to You have to change it. Change it. And so he went from real time to turn-based. Mm-hmm. And by turn-based, it meant that you could control the passage of time because it wasn't until you ended a turn that the clock would move forward. Right. That, that the, you know, whatever you have implemented would go into effect. Right. Right. And or that even that you would be able to take another turn. So, uh, you know, civilization is based on whatever year it is. Mm-hmm. So uh, in early stages of the game, time passes much more quickly. I think I can't remember if it's by decade or even by century when you first start off. But by the time you get toward the end game, it's going year by year. So uh, the the idea being that progress is much more rapid later on in the game. So you have to divide up the time into smaller increments for it, that to be reflected. Mm-hmm. So uh, those um, were big changes. Yeah, yeah. And this this would wind up being um, really, really integral to to what the game was like. Um, it's it's a lot of people talk about about Civ being addictive. Yeah. And and even even Meyer himself has said that he's been late to meetings because he was playing, playing the game, and yeah. totally forgot. Uh, he fell victim to his own trap. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I knew a lot of people who uh especially in college, I knew a lot of kids in college who uh who were a little bleary eyed because they had been playing civilization the night before. Oh yeah. And mm-hmm. it just was one of those things where they're like, I totally missed it. Just one to more turn. Sleep. Yeah. And I got to bed at four AM and got up at seven. Let's be serious. They got up at like two minutes before the class started. <laughs> but anyway, uh, yeah. Uh, so getting into more of the difficulty with civilization, some of it, some of the, the really messy stuff happened after Sid Meier had left Microprose. Um, but uh, one of the interesting things is that in 1995, Avalon Hill, the company, the publisher for the civilization board game, actually published 
Advanced Civilization, which, which was a computer version of the board, board game. game Civilization. So this, if you were a fan of the old Civilization board game, you could buy this one, and that would be the official one. Uh, also, it should be noted that Sid Meier's Civilization is now a board game, too. So that yeah, makes in, it even in, more complicated. Yeah, in 2010, um, uh, I, I, I edited the House to Forks article about this, so I learned way too much about it. Um, <laughs> it was, <laughs> it was designed by Kevin Wilson, who also did Arkham Horror, uh, yeah, which yeah, is, yeah. which is a pretty popular title. It's in, was published by, um, Fantasy Flight, which is, uh, you know, the, the kids who do, a other video game board games like World of Warcraft and Starcraft, and they're also the current publishers of Talisman. So, oh man, Talisman. Yeah, I, I have, I have, haven't, haven't thought of that in years. Ooh, I've, I've, I play it basically every year. That's one of one of my group favorites. Gosh, I think it might have been the '90s when I last played Talisman. Well, speaking of the '90s, in 1997, <laughs> that's when the proverbial crap hits the proverbial rotating, oscillating fan thing. <laughs> Yeah, so we've got uh, 1997. That's when Activision gets involved. So Activision purchases the rights to the Civilization name from Avalon Hill. Now, remember, Avalon Hill is the publishing company that had the rights to publish the Civilization board game in the United States. Meanwhile, uh, Activision then creates a computer game called Civilization Call to Power. This was in no way connected to the Sid Meier franchise. Games. Right. So it's it's really just it's got the name Civilization. But other than that, and it, it is a, it's an empire building type game. But other than that, it is not a it's not an entry into the Civilization franchise. But then Activision goes on to sue Microprose over trademark infringement because now they own the name Civilization because they licensed it from Avalon Hill. Right. Meanwhile, Microprose had bought Heartland Trefoil, which yes. was the original publisher before Avalon Hill of the Civilization board game. Right. This was the company that was founded by the guy who created the Civilization board game. So essentially what here's here's how this works out. <laughs> Activision goes out and buys the, uh, buys the rights to use Civilization according to the U.S. publisher of this board game. Sues Microprose. Microprose goes out and buys the original company to make the board game and then sues Activision and says, you can't sue us for trademark infringement. We own the company that made the thing that you are claiming you we're own. We're suing you. Yeah, so we're suing you instead in your face. I think that might have actually been in the deposition. <laughs> uh so, yeah, we've got this crazy lawsuit going on. Now, keep in mind, Sid Meier's not a part of this. He's just off on his own, making his games. Probably lolzing a tiny probably bit. Probably thinking it's a little amusing. Yeah, the, the the company has wound up settling all of this out of court. But that's the point when Hasbro comes in and buys Avalon Hill and then buys Microprose. So now Avalon Hill and Microprose are both under the same umbrella now there aren't oh, even which is hence why they probably settled it yeah, politely now now that now it doesn't even matter anymore mm-hmm. because both parties in this in trademark infringement spat are belonging to the same company but as we learned uh Hasbro Interactive did not last that long they ended up selling that off to Infogrames and uh and that is the end of the the massive civilization crazy story when it comes to just the name of the game. <laughs> I just I love the idea that you can go out and buy a company that made a product uh and you know years and years ago and then someone else had made a product also years ago that had the same name 
and retroactively say, I own that. I'm suing you for trademark infringement for this thing that you made before I bought this company. That's our legal system, folks. It makes my nose bleed. Yes. Um, but so, yeah, so, so civilization, um, kind of, kind of big. Um, yeah, I would say that it really created a true genre. Now, it, it itself is often referred to as one of the god games, which became popular right around that time that Civilization came mm-hmm. out. Other games like Populous or SimCity are are similar games where you are given the ability to create these massive things. It's not you taking on the role of a single character, but rather being g- the guiding force. Behind the creation of something. Right. And and I think that that creation element is what's really key to all of this. And, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting to me that Sid Meier um, is so bent on these creative games and and was less interested in the destructive yeah it, elements it, of of the of the more violent military simulations yeah he 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 admits that there is a component of violence in many of his games uh, but it tends to be violence in the abstract right, right? so like if you there's have, there's never any gore or blood right mm-hmm. if you have two units in civilization fighting one another it's essentially two tiles and one of the you know they they do a little statistical analysis and some randomization to figure out which tile wins and the other tile goes away mm-hmm. and that's the extent of your violence yeah so he he feels that the violent parts are not necessary to make a fun, compelling game. He doesn't find that appealing to personally, so that that's not part of what he does when he makes his games. Right. There has been some um, some criticism um, lobbied against civilization due to, um, like like for example, they they left out slavery yes. from the games, and that's a pretty big historical omission. Sure, um, from multiple eras. Oh, sure, sure, and and you know, Sid Sid Meier kind of said like, well, it's not really. Pleasant. I don't yeah. really want to think about it. That's it's, not really fun. Yeah, exactly. So a game, in my view, a game's primary function is to be fun. Mm-hmm. So it's not that I'm setting out to make the definitive, historically accurate mm-hmm. empire building game. I'm out there to make something that is fun and challenging so that players have a good time mm-hmm. when they're sitting down to play this title. Right. And see, that, that it's another interesting thing, because not all video game developers have this same philosophy. There's some who want to make a very compelling experience mm-hmm. that some, draws you in, but it's not necessarily who, fun. Right, or some who want to tell a very particular story, like like something like Bioshock, which I think is a terrific story. Yeah. Um, but um, But it's not like you have a lot of a hand in it. Right, right. So it's, it, you know, obviously there are different philosophies. It's just, it's very, it's kind of refreshing to talk about someone who his whole focus was just, let's make the most fun game we can. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the only real thing that we have mm-hmm. to keep in mind. It doesn't need to, uh, you know, be genre defining. It doesn't have to be the start of a franchise. We just want to make something that when people Load it up. They're going to have a good time when they play. And they're it. going to want to keep playing it. Yeah. Um. And he he did. Um. He and the rest of the civilization development team did address some of the other concerns that people had. Uh. Um. In future games, you could play as many other different societies. Um. It, right. it was pretty Western centric. The first one. Yeah. And- he actually says. Yeah. Yeah. I would say that first civilization game was very much Western centric mm-hmm. because I made it. Mm-hmm. And I, huh. that's I, I made it that's based me. upon my own right, right. my own experience and, and education. He also joked that um that the reason that there were only sixteen um different nationalities that you could play as was because they were at the end of the um sixteen color EGA graphics. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, so I was like, we thing. don't have any other. They were like, we well, that's all we could do. Right. Otherwise, you're going to be confused. Yeah, actually, <laughs> and the, the interesting thing I found in the later Civilization games was that the game itself would adapt to your play style. And uh, if you were doing incredibly well early on, in order for it to become more challenging, it would start to not like stack the deck against you, which is the way some games work. And that I find very frustrating. Like sure. anyone who's played any racing games where you get way in the lead and then there's this rubber band effect where suddenly there's someone everyone right behind you. Good. Yeah. yeah. Like, uh, how did that happen? I, I left everyone in the dust. Um, I'm looking at you, Burnout. Anyway, he, uh, the, the Civilization games instead, let's say that you're playing and you're you're getting really militaristic very early on in the game. And so you're you're hitting... Uh, cities before they have a real defense mounted up. Uh, you could defeat a, a civilization and normally you'd be playing against, you know, a certain number, but it wouldn't be all the civilizations in the game. It would be a limited number of them. So maybe half of the civilizations that are in the game are active at one time. It would then populate part of the map with a new civilization. Uh, so it'd be starting from scratch. It's not like the civilization would suddenly be on par hey, with yours. Come on with nuclear warheads, sure. But, but it would mean that you wouldn't immediately conquer the world within, you know, 20 turns or something. Huh, right, right. Uh, so, uh, yeah, it's, and, and I also thought it was really interesting that in the first civilization, as they were developing it, they decided to cut the world's map in half because it was too big. Yeah. And, uh, and to also reduce the complexity of the technology tree, which had a, a two uh-huh. different trees originally. Right, which, which they wound up putting some of that in Civ 2. Yeah, because then they were like, well, once people got involved with Civilization 1 and they really liked it, we figured, well, now we can put that stuff in Civilization 2 because now everyone knows how to play. <laughs> right, yeah. Which is kind of funny. Yeah. So um, I, I I had a couple quotes from, from Meyer that I thought kind of rounded out all of this. Awesome. Um, one of them was, was from that Kotaku interview um, in which he said, uh, upon him being asked about retirement, I kind of feel like I am retired. I'm doing what I want to do. I've been retired for a long time. I still love making games, so I've never really thought of that. Um, and, and the second one isn't a quote. It's a, more of a, a summarized statement. But um, uh, upon being asked whether he keeps track of his high score in civilization, he said that um, he, he doesn't because he knows it's just a number he can patch. <laughs> um, so he doesn't really see the value. Um, you know, yeah. he, it's, it's too easy to cheat. And, and, right. and, and I feel like that's, I feel like that's a pretty good summary of his overall just statement on the world, you know? Yeah. Like, like he's not, he's not keeping score. Yeah. No, that's kind of cool. You know, it's just that, again, he gets the satisfaction out of creating something that other people enjoy. Uh, yeah, I can certainly identify with that. A lot of my job satisfaction comes from when you listeners, Get in touch with us and let us know what you think. Hey, listeners, <laughs> you should get in touch with us and let us know what you think. That's smooth, Jonathan. Thank you. That's the, the segue gets all the more smooth the more we point it out. Uh, so, guys, if you have any suggestions for future episodes of Tech Stuff, whether it's about someone who is fundamental in technology or a particular company or just how something works, let us know. Send us a message. Ask us about it. You can send us an email. Our address is techstuff.com at discovery.com, or you can drop us a line on Facebook or Twitter. Our handle there is techstuffhsw. And uh, wait, there's something else, right, Lauren? Yes. Uh, we a, a couple of years ago, Jonathan started up a Tumblr account. Yeah, I totally forgot I did that. <laughs> and so I have revived it. We are tumbling. Yes, I do it on a daily basis. And I'm not even on the Tumblr account anymore. <laughs> I just fall over. But no, we really do have a Tumblr account. It is active. Lauren is the K 
keeper of all things Tumblr, and she's doing an amazing job. You guys can keep up with stuff that we are doing, uh, and also just cool things that Lauren finds about the world of technology. That, and cats. Yeah, and, and of and course. And actually, actually, cephalopods. Cephalopods are my big Tumblr thing right now. Thing, yeah. yeah. All the time, so, constantly. So uh, you should check that out. Um, where can they find that? Uh, that is also at techstuffhsw on ah, Tumblr. Excellent. So find us, HSW. We will be looking for you. We really, really will be. All right, so <laughs> that wraps us up. We hope you enjoyed it, and Lauren and I will talk to you again really soon. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like when the tailgate party shows up at your house after the big win. Everything's great until the hot plate gets too hot for the tablecloth. Now your kitchen's up in smoke. And if you don't have the right home insurance coverage, the cost to fix this could sideline your savings. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Not available in every state based on coverage selected, subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. We all can't help but wonder what adventure lies just over the next ridge. A Nissan Rogue, Nissan Pathfinder, or Nissan Armada will take you there. If you're taking on your adventure in a new 2024 Nissan Rogue, class-exclusive Google built-in is your always-updating assistant to call on for almost anything. Google Assistant, Google Maps, and Google Play Store are built right into the 12.3-inch HD touchscreen infotainment system of the 2024 Nissan Rogue. Nissan's SUV has the capabilities to take you where you want to go. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. Martha Stewart, the original influencer. When I think about anything, I think about the way that she did it first. The media mogul. The six years ahead, she saw what was coming. The prisoner, the rise, the fall, and the reinvention of an American icon. Once Martha paved the road, everybody else pretty much copied her. A CNN original series, The Many Lives of Martha Stewart, now streaming on Max. 